Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Okay. You know, last, um, last week, <clears throat> I made a statement, and, uh, and it was this. I, I want you to be sure that you do not treat Jesus like a hobby, Uh, that he's not just something that you add to your annual personal development list. Uh, He is is our life. And 31 years ago, he brought this church into being to help join his people around the world in fulfilling the great commission and the great commandment, his his, uh, great story of not only redeeming our story as Rachel so beautifully saying, but to redeem the story of every human being on the planet, uh, that we, uh, we exist to love God and love people while making more and better followers of Christ here and around the world. We say it all kind of ways. We say we exist to make more and better followers of Jesus who love God and love people. And uh, we're serious about that. It is not our hobby It is our life. It's why our church exists. It's why he put us on the planet. Uh, Because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. His ability to come in and forgive sin and give people new hearts and redeem people and give them purpose in this world and make them salt and light, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, preserving and redeeming life for those uh, uh, around them and bringing light to the darkness where people are living in darkness of suffering and oppression and, and lostness, spiritual lostness. Um, what we are doing as a church is serious business, and we take it very seriously, and I'm glad you're here to be a part of this. As a result of, of this, uh, this past year, going all the way back to last May, our pastors and our elders of our church began praying for uh, strategic priorities for the next year. We always do that. Lord, what, what, are, what are the big priorities you want us to pursue in the next year, the next 90 days, the next year, the next two years, the next five years? And one of those is that we would raise the value and practice of evangelism, of mission, of living life on mission. That's you and that's me. And so we have set aside the first two months of this year uh, to kick off that that emphasis with this series that we're calling Sent, uh, taken from the words of Jesus out of the Gospel of John, where he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are already sent on mission by Christ. If you're his child, if you've been saved, if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, if you've been redeemed, however you however you describe becoming a follower of Jesus, you have already been commissioned, sent by God to the people where you live and work and play, personally, locally, uh, regionally, globally. Some of us travel the world, and we are to be on mission, uh, being more and more effective at influencing men and women and boys and girls to repent of their sin, place their faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, and, uh, and to follow Him. That is how the world will become a better place. We want, to, we want to enrich the lives of people and increase the size of heaven. And that's what, that's what we are about. Uh, again, Jesus said to His followers, like you and me, 
you're the salt of the earth. Now, the problem is, is when we don't get the salt out of the salt shaker. And so this series is about helping you and me get out of the salt shaker into the culture. And um, that's what we're about uh, today. Listen, you have something to say for Jesus. And it all begins with your life before he came in to your life. Uh, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and let's read this verse together out loud. It's on the screen. Read it with me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, every follower of Jesus is a witness. We may be a sorry one, uh, but, but every, every follower of Jesus is a, is a witness. Now, at Dogwood, we say several things about members of the church. We say at Dogwood, every member is a minister, and every member is a missionary, or that's what we mean by witness. Every member is a missionary. Every member is living life on mission as a witness for Christ. We are, Jesus, the Apostle Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ, beseeching people to be reconciled to God through faith uh, in Christ. And that's you, and that's me. You see, you do have something to say for Jesus, and it all begins with your life before Jesus came into your life. But we have a problem. Sometimes we don't share our faith, we don't have gospel conversations, we don't witness simply because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to say. We, we, um, we don't initiate gospel conversations, not because we're apathetic, as we dealt with last week, but we simply don't know how to go about it. We don't know what to say. So we're going to take four of these seven messages across these seven weeks to teach you what to say. And this is the first one of those today. So I want you to turn to page two, top of page two in your student guide there, and grab your pen. Now, witnessing is not you telling someone else what Pastor Keith heard or experienced about Jesus or believes about Jesus. Witnessing is you telling what you have seen and heard and experienced with the Lord Jesus, your own personal experience, and you do have it. it you, you have something to say for Jesus, and it all begins with your life before Jesus came in. And so what does a witness do? Well, uh, one of the reasons I love the Bible is that it is fully sufficient for equipping you and me for what we are to believe and how we are to live, including uh, this thing about being a witness. And we have a, a model for what witnesses do and say uh, all the way over in the, um, the back of the book of Acts, chapter 26. So I want you to take your copy of the Scriptures Turn to the book of Acts, uh, fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Gospel of John, Acts. And uh, then scroll back to chapter 26. We find there a model for us, and it's no less than the apostle Paul himself. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and we, got, we see there 
Uh, three things. We see he tells us a little bit about his life before Jesus came in. He tells us how he met Jesus, and he tells us something about his life after Jesus. Let's look at the first. Uh, he's going to start with his life before he knew Jesus. Beginning in verse 4, he said this. Now, he's speaking to a man by the name of King Agrippa. He's kind of on trial for his faith, and he's standing before King Agrippa and his court, a very big public scene, and here's what he said. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, now those Jewish leaders he's referring to are there, they're observing this. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now, I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the twelve tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, Your Majesty... They accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests... I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So he starts out, he goes back to his past before Jesus came into his life, before he knew Jesus. And then, uh, up top of page 3 in your study guide there, he goes on with how he met Jesus. A little bit about when and where and who and what. And he begins in verse 12. Here's what he said. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus and armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests... About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get to your feet. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. 
Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who were set apart by faith in me. I mean, right there he he shares how this happens for everyone. That's our prayer for everyone. So the Apostle Paul told King Agrippa and all the people in the court that day a little bit about his life before he knew Jesus, before Jesus came into his life, he told them how he met Jesus, where he was, what he was doing, who was with him, what happened. And then he transitions to his life after Jesus came in, beginning with verse 19. Here's what he said. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. Now, I kind of picture him pointing to himself, saying the least, and pointing to King Agrippa and saying to the greatest. He's kind of putting him on the spot there. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. He said what the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures prophesied would happen that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. So, here is a very helpful model for you and for me to be a witness, to have gospel conversations because you do have something to say for Jesus and it begins with this model. It begins with the first point of your life before Jesus came in. Now, I I find when we study the Apostle Paul's story that many Christians will say something like this, well, but you know, I don't have a dramatic story like Paul. I'm kind of vanilla. Don't you? I mean, I I don't have, you know, I don't have a road to Damascus experience. I, I don't really have a very meaningful testimony. Was that true? No, it's not true. And I want to prove it to you. Um... What would you say, if you had to vote, is the most well-known, maybe even the most well-loved hymn in Christian history worldwide? What would it be? Amazing Grace. Sing it with me. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like like you. Okay, go ahead. What else did he say? I once was, but now I'm found, was. Okay, okay, let's start there. There, I'm going to give you there at least five terms in the Bible that describe you and me before Jesus came into our life, before we were saved, before we were born again. Uh, you sang two of them, lost and blind. Let's start with the first one there in, in your notes. You first sang, I once was lost. Write down that word there on page, top of page four in your student guide. 
few months back, I, I was watching the news. You know, I don't watch the news a lot. It's depressing. And about, anyway, same thing happens every day just to different people. Uh, so murders, wars, and people being nasty to each other. Pretty much the same thing. So, but I was watching the news. Thought I might better check in every now and then. And uh, there was a story about a young mom with two preschool children that went on a, a hike uh, on a beautiful day somewhere out from the Atlanta area. I don't remember a, a park or a national forest or something. Well, they got lost because she couldn't find. They couldn't find. She couldn't find their way back to the to the path, and it was starting to get dark. Fortunately, uh, she had a cell phone, had coverage, dialed, called emergency services, and uh, they sent a search team with a helicopter with infrared surveillance cameras, found them in the dark, and got them back to safety. Now, with that in mind, with that in, um, in mind, read with me Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It's on the screen. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost, lost, lost. Just like that young mom and children were lost to life uh, and, and safety, when you and I were apart from Christ, the Bible says we were lost. I once was lost. That means I was lost to a relationship with God, separated from God. Separated from God. I had a guy one time that said, I said, well, the Bible says you're lost. He said, what do you mean I'm lost? I'm right here. I said, no, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about lost to a relationship with God not, and not have an ability to find your way back to God. So before you met Jesus, you were lost. Now, what are the, what's the next word we said in Amazing Grace? Was blind, but now I see. Blind. When um, in, in August of 1977, Allison and I moved to Fort Worth, Texas, and I entered Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Great school. I recommend it. And um, I, I met a guy there, a classmate. He became an acquaintance uh, who was blind. I noticed him because someone was kind of helping him. He had a cane. He was in line for registration. And uh, first few, first little while of the semester there, uh, someone guided him around and helped him learn the campus. Pretty big campus for a seminary. And before too long, he navigated the, the whole campus all by himself. No problems. I was amazed. But you could sit next to him in Dr. David Garland's Old Testament survey class and Dr. Garland said, turn to Psalm 1. You could turn to Psalm 1 and hold it up in front of his face right there. He couldn't see the Scriptures. He couldn't see it. Why? He was blind. He couldn't see the Scriptures. Now, with that in mind, read with me 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and what it says about you and me before we met Jesus. Read it with me. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Uh, blinded the, the God of this age. Satan and the world thought and value system has blinded us before Jesus so that we cannot see, we cannot 
understand. We have no ability to see and understand. Some of you are trying to influence people you know and like and love to faith in Christ. And you've told them and you've explained it and you've read it. And they say, I just don't get it. And you go, I don't understand why they can't see it. That's why. And it's why you couldn't see it. And it's why I couldn't see it before we knew Jesus. Just like my classmate could not see the words of Scripture before you and I met Jesus, we were blinded in our mind to the good news of Christ and the things of God. Now, so we were lost. We were blind. Now, here's the third word that the Bible uses to describe us before Jesus, and it is this one, wicked. Mm, That's hard to hear. In fact, most of you don't believe that right now. We don't like to think of ourselves in terms of, of being wicked or ungodly. And here's why. All people who are not Christians, <clears throat> and some of us Christians forget the gospel and we go back to this, we, are, we believe and we have a worldview of what I would call comparative righteousness. Comparative righteousness. And what I mean by that is this. We, we spend our time comparing ourselves morally and ethically. We compare our morality with the morality of other people and we easily find uh, people we think that we surpass in our own morality, don't we? We easily, we easily do that. And so we look down on them. In fact, if you're not a Christian grounded in the gospel, you have no ability to live any other way. You have to look down on other... You have to be searching for people who, who you surpass morally so that you can feel better about yourself and live. I mean, just, it, 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 unless we understand the gospel, it's the way we're going to live. Comparative righteousness. And our country loves this. In fact, much of the news now that I, we, that I don't watch... It's reporting on comparative right, uh, righteousness or unrighteousness. We easily find people we think we surpass. And so right now, many in our country, they want to look down on President Donald Trump or Harvey Weinstein or Matt Lauer or, you know, it might be you tomorrow or me tomorrow. I mean, just the person of the day, you know, uh, yep, better than Or we're looking down on people who look down on President Trump and, you know, if, it's a mess. It's a mess. However, let's just talk about me for a second. On my very best moral day, compared to a holy, holy, holy God, I am wicked. He's the standard. I am wicked. I am... See... The word holy, when, when, uh, when it is used to describe God, uh, means other. Literally, it means other. It means He is other than us. He's not like us. He is way far above and beyond us. He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He is pure. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good altogether. He is perfect and perfect in all His perfections. And uh, we are, He is other than us. It means we are, I'm, I'm not like God, therefore I am unlike God, which means I am ungodly. That's where that word comes from. The same word translated wicked is also translated ungodly. 
means I'm unlike God. I'm not, I'm not like God morally. I, I, he surpasses me. I, I don't measure up. It's, it's what the Bible, in part what the Bible means in Romans chapter 3, 23, and says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Of God. We are wicked. We are wicked. Now, lest you're still not convinced, um, how about we do a little goodness test this morning? A little nervous laughter over here in this section. A little goodness test. Let's just take a few of God's top ten list, the, the, the ten commandments, kind of the baseline of morality and God's standard. Now, I just want you to raise your hand on these. Ready? Here we go. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Yes. Now, don't be looking at your neighbor. You're already into that comparative unrighteousness or righteousness thing. Have you, have you ever once in your life, have you ever taken something uh, uh, that did not belong to you? Raise your hand. I have. You ever done that? Now, what are people called that do that? Thieves. Thieves. Now, the people over here didn't know what they were called, but you did. Okay, thieves. Got a bunch of thieves in this church. Uh, have, you, have you ever, raise your hand, if you've ever told for your own benefit, you've told something that was not true. Raise your hand. Now, what are people called? Liars. Thie- church, if you're a guest here today, bless you. You might not want to join this church. It's a church full of thieves and liars. Church of Thieves, have you have you ever um, wanted something for your own that another person had? You didn't. It bugged you that they had it, and you really wished you had it. You ever had that? What what are the what's that called? Coveting. Thou shalt not covet. That's what coveting. Now on this next one, don't raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's funny, everybody, this crowd knew, this section knew that one too. And so Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he defined adultery this way. He said, if you have ever looked upon another with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with them. Well, if that's true, anybody north of puberty (laughs) would be raising their hand, right? Yeah, yeah. So Pastor... You're making me sound like a really bad person. Listen to this, Romans 5, uh, 4, verse 5 says, However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the who? The wicked. wicked. God justifies the wicked. Now, why does God spend His time justifying the wicked? Because that's the only people available. (laughs) Anyone He justifies was wicked. You, me, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that morally we were bankrupt. It, Paul said, uh, the, the scriptures say, in our flesh dwells no good thing. In our flesh dwells no good thing. And apart from Him we can do nothing. Right. Morally bankrupt. You were lo- Before Jesus you were lost. Before Jesus you were blind. Before Jesus you were uh, morally bankrupt. Well, here's another word. Before Jesus you were Dead. Dead. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose uh, that later on this week, I, I died peacefully in my sleep, which, which 
as you well know, is my preferred way of leaving the planet. That's what I'm, I'm actually praying for that, Jay. You know, you're going to go some way. Well, I, Lord, how about peacefully in my sleep at a ripe old age um, after a good hamburger? You know, something like, you know, re- really important things like, like that. And so uh, let's suppose that I did die peacefully in my sleep sometime this next week. And at the end of the week is my funeral and the visitation. And uh, my family gathers. And before the visitation, Allison, my wife, asks if she could have a few minutes alone with my body there in the, in the viewing room. And they, everybody leaves and they shut the door. And she walks over and the, the casket's open. And she looks down at me and she says, Keith. Where are the insurance policies? Where is your will? Where is the key to the safe deposit box? Where are all of our end-of-life documents? And I would say to her, what? Nothing. Nothing. Why? I'm dead. And dead means that I have lost all ability to relate to her. I have absolutely no relationship with her any longer. No ability to communicate. No ability to relate to her at all. At all. Now, with that in mind, read with me Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 on the screen. Here we go. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... Before you met Jesus, the Bible says you were dead and had no... Before you were saved, before you received Him as Lord and Savior, you were dead because of your disobedience and sins, and you had absolutely no ability to relate to God. Now, people say all the time, well, I'm not a Christian, or I'm not religious, religious, but I am a spiritual person. We hear that all the time in our culture. What? No, they're not. Spiritual means you have an ability to relate to God. No, 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 no. Anyone apart from Christ is dead, dead, four o'clock dead spiritually. Four o'clock dead spiritually. I mean, no ability to relate to God and, and, and no, no way to help ourselves. Uh, we are lost. We are blind and morally unlike God, wicked and dead. That's not all. He says you are an enemy of God. Write that down. Wow. You know, the United States of America has some enemies. And what I mean by that is that there are individuals in this world and some in this country, and there are groups in this world and some in this country, and there are governments and other countries in this world that are opposed to the idea, even the idea of the American experiment as expressed in our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and, and all that. I mean... Opposed. They're, they're in opposition to the very existence of not just the idea, but the reality of the United States of America. In opposition to. Now with that in mind, read what, let me read what the Bible says to us about you and me before we met Jesus. It describes us this way in Romans 5.10. For if when we were God's what? We were God's enemies. We were God's enemies. We were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? And again, you say, well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, before you met Christ, you were in opposition to the idea of a God who would rule over your life. 
I don't want to be ruled by God. I don't, I'm glad there's a God to call on if I want him or if I need him. But uh-uh-uh, a God who says he owns me, I am his slave, I must do what he says, I must do his will. I don't, no, 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 I want to do what I want to do. That's in all of us. It's in all, it means I am in opposition to the reign and rule leadership of God over my life enemy of God. It's again, pastor, you're making me sound like a bad, really bad person. Sound like a bad person. Listen, you are such a, we're in such a sorry, no count state. And I was in such a sorry, no count state, morally bankrupt, evil enemy of God, that God had to send his one and only son to go to the cross. The only one who could pay the price, the penalty for our sin to substitute for my sin and your sin. There was no other way. He did it that way. You were, you were spiritually lost and blind and dead. You were morally wicked and enemies of God and couldn't help yourself. I could not either. But guess what? You were also so loved by God and so loved by the Lord Jesus Christ that He was willing to do it. Wow. That's why we sing of the love of God. That we, he loved us so much, he was still willing to do it. That's what Romans 5.8 means when it says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still lost and blind and wicked and dead and enemies of God, he died for us. He died for us. You have, do you have a testimony? Yes, you do. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have placed your faith in Christ, however you describe becoming a follower of Jesus, you have a story. Because look, now look at me. Once you were lost, now you have been found, found your way by, by Christ. I once was blind, but now you can see, see Jesus in the will and the ways of God. You once were wicked, but now the Bible says out there, up there in the courtroom of God, you have been declared as righteous as Jesus himself. He has imputed his righteousness to you. He has credited righteousness to you that you are absolutely, that you are totally accepted by God uh, through the righteousness of Christ. Uh, you once were dead, but now you've been, in Christ you have been made alive and given the ability to know and love and relate to God himself through faith in Christ. You were an enemy of God, but now he says, I have adopted you as my child and you are a friend of God. Do you have something to say? You bet you do. You bet you do, and it all begins with your life before you met Jesus. Now imagine with me you remembering these things deeply. You keep going on this journey I've been taking you on about remembering what you were before you met Christ, and then the overwhelming reality of His sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross for you in your place out of his love for you produces a wave of overwhelming wonder and amazement and joy and love and something to say and something to say so here's what I want you to do this week here I got some homework for you 
It's really easy this week, but I want you to do it at least every day and hopefully several times through your day. It's another prayer that I want you to pray. It's in your study guide there. I've altered it just a little bit on the screen. Here's what I want you to pray uh, every day this week. Matter of fact, put it on a screen, put it on your phone, put it on your computer screen, put it where you'll be reminded, maybe on the hour to pray this prayer. Just make it your constant prayer. Lord Jesus... Help me to remember what I was before you came into my life. And help me to thank you every day for saving me and changing me. Got it? Got it? Good. Now remember the prayers that I gave you last week. Keep praying those too. Here they are really quick. Lord Jesus, I want, you to, I want to want you more than any other person, place, possession, or thing in my life. But I don't right now, so please help me. Remember that one? Keep praying that one. And here's a second one. Lord Jesus, I want to be willing to obey you in witnessing, but I have not been willing to obey you thus far, so please help me. I want to be willing to obey you in witnessing. Here's the third one I gave you last week. Lord Jesus, give me a love for people who don't know you as much as I can have and survive it because I don't have a love for them now, so please help me. Those are honest prayers, don't you think? So keep praying those. And remember, He will help you based on this promise, Philippians 2.13 on the screen. God is working in you to help you want to do and be able to do what pleases Him. He will help you want to do and be able to do what pleases Him. Right now, that's my favorite promise in Scripture. And so hang on to that one. So let's pray. Pray with me. Now, some of you would say, well, pastor, as you described it, I think I'm still lost and blind and unlike God morally and dead with no ability to know and relate to Him and and an enemy of God. I don't want Him to rule over my life, but but I think I want this new life in Christ. What do I do about it? Well, first of all, you repent of your sin. You admit it to Christ and your willingness to turn away from your sin and turn to God through faith in Christ. You repent of your sin and then you place your active trust in Jesus. You say, Lord, I I believe that you did pay the price for sin when you died on the cross, that you took my sin on your body on the cross. And I'm asking you now to apply that to me personally. That you come into my heart as Savior and forgive me of my sin. And that you come into my life as my Lord and my God and take control of my life in eternity. To the best of my understanding, I want to give myself to you. Now you tell Him. So, Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. Thank you that you've given us a story to tell about you redeeming our lives 
And we're going to sing it back to you now, Lord, as a praise. Help us do that. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give. 